0: Hi, I'm Jason Sachs. Welcome to Classic Comics Cavalcade. This week's episode is especially near and dear to my heart because few comics obsessed me between 1982 and 2002, more than Dave Sim and Cerebus. Cerebus was a comic that was always around, always important to me, always kind of meaningful in its own very unique way. And yet, by the 1990s, comics shifted, changed, became very different from what it was before, and generated a tremendous amount of controversy that controversy kind of swept me away as a fan and a number of people as well this week my pal keith silva joins me on classic comics cavalcade to discuss dave sim cerebus some of the controversy some of the history and a lot of uh, interesting background on sim we call it sympathy for dave sim hope you enjoy it as usual show notes are at classiccomicstumblrcom form and please leave us feedback on twitter or any other platform at jason sachs on twitter thanks So, Keith, thanks for joining me. Well, thank you, Jason. It's a
1: pleasure to be here.
0: Uh, As you know, we've talked Cerebus many times, actually. Most every time we get together, we end up getting on this topic. Um, I didn't realize we talked about it four years ago for that article on Comics Bolton and your wonderful Interested and Sophisticated Fun blog. Yes, thank you. Uh,
1: Yeah, I mean, who else do you talk Cerebus with than Jason Sachs? You are, in my mind... Certainly for me, you know Cerebus as well as I I put you out there up against anybody who knows Cerebus better and Dave Sim and everything else and can can really talk about it and see both sides. So uh, this is an honor for me, Jason.
0: Oh, that's way too nice of you. It is a tough series and as we talked about before too, kind of a little bit forgotten these days or maybe mm-hmm. just kind of ignored because it is a challenging book. Definitely has its elements that are just difficult to read these days. I think it also uh, reading it separately from a lot of the back matter and other material that happened at the time that the book was coming out makes it lose some context, which also mm-hmm. can make it more challenging. But at the same time, I think it's one of the great works of comic art.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I think of it as, you know, if there's a, independent comics, Himalayan mountain range. Cerebus is Cerebus is a peak right up there with Love and Rockets and any of those books, that uh, those creator-owned books that really developed outside of the mainstream, outside of the Marvel DC thing. Thousands more that you could name than I can, but Cerebus is right up there. I, I, it has to be reckoned with.
0: Well, and that's kind of the thing. It's like Hellboy is another great example of a mm-hmm. creator-owned comic yep. that's lasted for decades. And certainly Mike Mignola has received the fame and attention he deserves. And of course, we've had the Hellboy movies, which give it another level of popularity. Usagi Mm -hmm. Yojimbo was another example of that. Mm -hmm. Somehow, Cerebus is never included in the pantheon Mm -hmm. of those other works. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing, in the Mm -hmm. same way that something like Savage Dragon is not kind of considered in the same level. Mm. Um, But also, I don't think aspire to the same level of artfulness as, as Sim's work. I think what it comes down to is this sort of creator-owned work is auteur-driven, and sometimes auteurs will connect with people, and sometimes they will kind of stay in their own zone.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think Sim, for whatever reason, emerged from that zone and then ended up falling back into it.
1: Mm. It's a niche of a niche, uh, definitely. Uh, certainly, you know, the comic... There's so much information out there now, and I don't mean to sort of rely on that crutch, but it, it's easy to get lost nowadays because there's so much uh, other stuff that's out there to sort of rediscover it. And I think that Cerebus is definitely up for a rediscovery, but I think as we go on and we talk about this, there's, there's tough sledding, as we say here in Vermont, uh, ahead, as you sort of get into uh, Cerebus and Sim uh, as a creator.
0: Yeah, and there's you know anthologies of articles about Sim out there. My co-editors on the uh, Steve Gerber conversations and Jim Shooter mm-hmm. conversations, Dominic Grayson, Eric Hoffman, put out a book on Cerebus essays on the Barbarian Messiah. Mm. So I mean they're out there. It's definitely received a share of critical attention. There's also a Dave Sim conversations book that I contributed yep. to. Yep, that's- but i also think it's a rational decision to not read cerebus when you have a choice to read something else because Mm -hmm. it is a challenging work it is a work that evolves over time and frankly with auto-driven work there's going to be some creators who just don't spark an interest in you i mean there's plenty of people who again to bring up savage dragon plenty of people who've dipped their toes into eric larson's world and said no this just isn't for me and I think that's a legitimate decision to make, especially these days.
1: For people who don't know Cerebus and Dave Sim, um, Cerebus runs 300 issues. So this gets into sort of what we're talking about as far as like a major work. Collected over 16 volumes. Turns out to be something like 6,000 pages. So that's something that you're really setting yourself up for. Like, okay, here's what you're going to have to tackle. Uh, And hopefully as people listen to this, they'll hear things that you say – Or that I mentioned that's like, okay, if you're going to dip a toe, dip a toe into these waters. But first, I sort of wanted to start, Jason, with a quote. I want to quote you to you, because what else is better than that? But from that article that you talked about that we wrote for Comics Bulletin together, this is what you said about Cerebus. He's an asshole. He's a jerk. Over and over and over again, especially in high society and church and state, it's really all about Cerebus's greed and how he wants everything. Cerebus threatens to throw a baby off a roof if people don't give him all their gold. He is the epitome of self-centered self-interest. So as I read that quote and I was re- re- you know, going back over my notes and things like that, I started to think about, wow, this is kind of prescient for uh, these uh, troubled times that we live in. You know? uh, and I sort of thought, you know, uh, a despot's going to despot, I guess is, is how it goes. So, so Jason, based on what you said in that quote— why do I want to spend my time reading about this asshole?
0: That's a damn good question. Mm, uh, thank you. I, I think I can answer this in maybe three ways.
1: Okay. First
0: of all, the art and storytelling is spectacular. Amen. Sim's storytelling elements are powerful, intriguing. He just, no one can draw a character or scene as well as he can. So, from a pure artistic standpoint, mm-hmm. it's wonderful. Uh, secondly, Service as a character is an asshole, but in a way, he's not dissimilar to the antiheroes who are so much o- around media these days. He's he's no Tony Soprano, but he follows that Tony <laughs> Soprano kind of antihero vision. You know mm-hmm. he is a complex creature who lives his, his life kind of in an uncompromising way, and that's in a lot of ways a character that we are more used to taking in a, in the media now than we were before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I think in some ways he's more resonant as a lead than he is now. Mm. Um, And then lastly, if you were to be brave or confident enough to go through the entire series, the character actually does change in his latter days. The first 200 issues of the 300 issue series essentially takes place in the first 25 or 30 years of his life. Mm. And then the latter 30 years are, are the latter hundred issues and in those hundred issues we see him mellow grow become humbled and really does start to evolve as a character in ways that gonna go and i feel like they enlightened my life in ways i just didn't expect them to
1: yeah i think one of the things that you're getting at is when we're talking about service one of the nice things in comics this is really nice is there's an ending those 300 issues are this character's life He changes, he grows, he gets different jobs, he gets wives, he gets divorced, he has children. There's all sorts of stuff that Mm -hmm. go on in this character's life over those 300 issues. And there's an ending. It's not Spider-Man where he's perennially 20 years old and still going through this stuff, and or, or dying and coming back and being reborn. There is a beginning, a middle, and an end with Cerebus, which in comics, it's a rare thing, Jason.
0: It is a rare thing, but less rare with the author-driven work. I mean, you were talking true, about... very true. If we think of the Hernandez brothers, Jaime's mm-hmm. work in particular these days is just more and more powerful for me because I've grown up with these characters, right. and they're growing at the same Ooh. rate that I'm growing, and so I feel like a real kind of kinship to what their experiences are. In an odd way, they're like friends.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: Um, that's certainly true in the case of Hellboy, too. And I think that's, that's one of the beauties of reading Arturist comics, mm. um, that the characters really do grow at the same time that the creators growing. So yep. Very true. Um, let, me, let me shift
1: a little bit because I think a lot of times when you're ta- we're talking about Cerebus the comic or Cerebus the character, we're also talking about Dave Sim. Uh, Dave Sim is Cerebus. Cerebus is Dave Sim. So, so, you know, let's talk a little bit about Sim. Who is Dave Sim? Where did he come from? Who is he? And what's his role in this comic?
0: Yeah, I mean, they are as interchangeable as any two uh, creator and work could possibly be. He, he makes a point of saying this is not his autobiography, which is absolutely correct. Whoever mm-hmm. the comic represents his way of seeing the world sim was has was a comic fan from his earliest days there's literally stories in some issues about him being young kid and going to conventions and meeting creators Mm. by the time he was 14 15 16 he was contributing to a magazine called comic art news and reviews and interviewing (laughs) creators Um, he tells a story about a 1970s creator named t casey brennan who was a big writer for Uh, Warren comics Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and how Brennan actually came to teenage Dave Sims house for an interview and how (laughs) impressed he was that he was a real person. Uh Uh, So Sim was always into comics. His mentor was Gene Day, who was also a man who was obsessed with comics, who lived um, relatively close to Sim in in Ontario, Canada. Mm -hmm. Day's obsession was to get his comics published in any medium he could get them published in. If he could make $5 from a submission to a fanzine, he would do it. And Sim really saw him as a mentor, saw Gene Day as a mentor. So by the time he was 18 or 19, Sim got his first real job as a comic shop clerk, met his wife, started drawing and writing comics for a number of different publications, and really started to to take off in his career. And by the time he was in his early 20s, he had basically decided, along with his then wife, Jenny Sim, or Jenny Little Bear at the time, you know, mm-hmm. depending on that, right. to publish a comic that they thought was going to be called Cerberus, based on the three-headed creature from, I think it's Greek Hell. mythology. Yep. The, the Guardian of Hell. And they had mistyped the com- the title as Cerebus. Long story short, they ended up coming out with this barbarian aardvark character, which is meant to be kind of a one-off parody of Conan. Conan. Yep. Strongly influenced by the then hot Barry Winter Smith. Awesome. Yep. And, you know, they put out the first issue and it was reasonably popular and they continued on with the series. And basically, it evolved into the, the main point of Sims' life. Uh, for a short time, it was the center of a publishing empire. And then after the divorce between Dave and Denny, it became kind of the main focus of his life where he had, the, he kind of, Ended the up drawing the, the comic for, as, as you said, 300 issues, which mm-hmm. apparently was kind of an impulse decision he made at some point. He also became the center of this massive movement around self-publishing and autorist comics. Mm-hmm. And for a period of time between about 1988 and 1995, Sim was the center of this whole movement. Issues of his of his comic were filled in the back matter with stuff about here's how to be a great self-publisher. Let me promote these other creators and Mm -hmm. let me do everything I can to support these uh, talented creators who are putting out their own work and and risking their own livelihoods in doing so. So you promoted books like Strangers in Paradise Mm -hmm. by Terry Moore, Moore, which mm -hmm. is one of the classic works of comics literature by people like Paul Pope, Colleen Duran, Don Simpson, and many other people who are just not remembered at all. Mark Oakley was one. Uh, there's a comic called Strange Attractors that came out from your part of the world, Keith. Oh, okay. And he would, and he would uh, like promote these creators month after month after month. And he would do national and international tours with his comic. And then came the time when he... Got into his uh, complex views of gender relations, and everything seemed to kind of suddenly fall apart.
1: Okay, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you there, Jason. Let's not let's. So let's I'm giving not, a I'm giving okay. a kind of a quick That's overview
0: good. with a lot of little hooks here, good. but yeah. uh, I hope it wasn't too much of a rambling over no, you. No, no, no. Basically, he, he had a he had a complex and rich history in comics. He, was in, he loved comics from the very beginning. Has always been kind of the exemplar of a certain type of comic, and in doing so, he, he went from being the hero. An all-star, you know, an MVP of comics, to being a pariah, to being released, to being a, you a know, villain, a, a villain, yes, a
1: villain. I mean, a, a very much so, and we'll get into that uh, shortly. I, I wanna, I wanna step back a little bit because one of the things that you're you're talking about here is what in any uh, walk of life, what you know, or fandom is. It's a community, and mm-hmm. and Sim created a community. And one of the things that is fascinating is, I mean, there was always a letter column. I mean, there was always back matter and stuff like that. but in a in a cerebus comic, that was, I don't know what metaphor you want to use, the cherry on top. it was as it was as important as the story. Um And we talk a lot about this in the in the article that um, hopefully you can link to when you put this up. One of the things that I think is interesting, and 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 just to pause just for a second here, I hope you folks appreciate you know what Jason just gave you because he can do this with just about anyone, but just that idea of all these people that he has at his fingertips, I marvel at that. Okay, unpause. <laughs> um, I can't keep names straight to begin with, but it's well, very that's, good. That's really it, kind of you. Well, thank uh, you. Appreciate that. And and, and so I want to talk about the letter column a little bit because I know this is where. Uh, you know as we say you made your bones this is where you know you really engaged with other people and you were part of that community seeing the people that were writing letters responding to them and 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 sim is responsible in many ways for all that i mean you made friends from people that you read about in in the letter column like real friends right
0: yeah real friends um and i met some yeah, some talented people and made real friends from it. There's, there was something about the Cerebus letters column too. There was this unfiltered. It's a pre-message board, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. I, think yep. I think that's. the I think that's analogy we used in the earlier article too. You just, did. Yes, we did. It was the. It's it an internet message board before it became a message board. And right. you know, just as you and I have both made uh, many friends from Twitter and other media, it was just the way that you made friends at that point—just writing letters rather than mm-hmm. responding to posts—and. Yeah, we built this community, um, both metaphorically and actually kind of semi-physically, because we did these things called appas that were basically oh zines that you shared with each other.
1: I love it. <laughs> uh,
0: and I was, I was, you know, part of the zine, kind of zine movement in the early 1980s as well. And so they kind of all flowed out from that same thing where you just kind of just, just share your creative ideas with others and, and build a small community around each other. It was, it was interesting because, like, not to go too, too off on a tangent here with, this, with autobiographical stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in high school, I was, like, I was into theater and I was one of the smart kids. But I had, like, a good set of friends around me who were, like, actual friends. And I was saw these, like, odd circles I was able to fall into. So I had friends at, my, at the high, high schools in Reno when I was in school. But I also had these kind of virtual friends who I would trade zines with and trade letters with. I always just kind of have seen both of those as being two sides of the same coin. Just because there's people who you haven't met in person necessarily doesn't mean they can't actually become real friends. And Absolutely. this whole exercise of doing these appas and trading letters with folks like, you know, as you call out in the piece there, Derek McCullough and other people who are mm-hmm. like big letter hacks in the pages of uh, Cerebus, it's just kind of um, – just something I took as as kind of just something you did. There's actually a shout out to me in the, yes, the letters column. Yes, I was going to
1: bring of, that up. Thank letter you.
0: Letter column, uh, Cerebus one seventy nine, from here's here, so here's the quirkiness of this whole story. This so it all comes back in full circle with with us hanging out and stuff. So cool. So the guy who wrote the letter, who had a shout out to me and several other people also who were kind of in my circles, was a guy named James Spielberg, who's the guy who I had mentioned who um, was a friend who passed, who I had very ambiguous feelings about. Mm. And at the end of the, his, his letter, he shouted me out. And so it's like he was a friend, but he was also not really a, a good friend. Right. And a, a good, in, in air quotes. And we were also able to build these complicated relationships with people online. It was like any other any other friendship. He also called out, a friend named Bruce Canwell who's about six or eight years older than me who's actually one of the editors of the Library of American Comics
2: hmm.
0: <laughs> and who I literally met when I was back east in Boston uh, last year when we hung out. Oh, cool. Oh, that's great. Daniel and I went out to dinner with him and, and, as well as a fellow friend named Peter Urkowitz, who I had only met at that trip as well. He was also involved in that same community.
1: So it's a long
0: way of saying... We built these long lasting friendships.
1: And 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 just, no, go ahead.
0: Go ahead. Please finish. No, I'm kind of rambling a bit.
1: (laughs) No, no, not at all. All I was going to say is just to remind the listeners there that you built these relationships writing letters. There was no, you know, (laughs) tweeting back and forth, there was no long posts on social media, there was no social media, folks. This is Jason writing letters, you know, typing out letters, writing letters to these people and building these communities. And it's just that that is fascinating to me because I think a lot of that's been lost. We do it another way now, but it's also been politicized in a way that it just wasn't about it just wasn't about the music uh, as as it may have been back then or, or the comics, so to speak.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, it's a lost era. I'm not saying that that was any better or worse than the way that people communicate now. I think uh, Mm a lot of ways... We can argue about that. We can argue about that. that. Uh, But yeah, he built this community, and it was interesting going back through the high society letters in the pages Mm -hmm. of Mothers and Daughters because the letters kind of fell into one of three categories. There were letters that kind of got into... Gender relations, my girlfriend dumped me, kind of thing. Oh, okay. And it was striking like a lot of those for, were from like college age people who were just kind of struggling through those early relationships. Mm-hmm. And of course, I read those completely differently now than I would have <laughs> read them 25 years ago, right. being 25 years older. A second third of them were analyses of the comic itself. Mm-hmm. And then the latter third were around gender and but that whole side of things mm. and so it became this forum that was this odd mix of people just kind of sharing deep dark secrets for whatever reason mm. and like this passion for the book in the high society days it was more silly and as right. sim evolved the, the, the letters become more serious but sure. they were often eight or ten pages of again actual letters like right. sim paid someone to transcribe these letters and type them into a typesetting machine and set type on these pages, like not even printed that, but print set like actual type.
1: In the the article that we keep referencing, I'll, I'll stop doing that because I know it must sound annoying. But I want to bring up a letter because while I was working on the article, I picked what one of the issues I had and just read the letters columns. And um, I don't—they're not reprinted in the phone books, right? So so you really yeah. have to get the issues to sort of read the letters. Uh, which is which is too bad because they are, like you say, a work uh, of art in its in themselves. One of the issues I have is issue 93, and you corrected me, so I think I'm going to get this name right this time. You were very austere when you corrected me about this name, Jason. I have never forgotten it. <laughs> uh, Sim prints a letter from Cat Ironwood. Did I get it right this time? Thank you. She was the editor in chief at <laughs> Eclipse upstairs. Comics. You were yes. very austere. Like you better get it right, Silva. Uh, so she was the editor-in-chief at Eclipse Comics and an outspoken supporter of creator own work and free speech. And she writes this letter, and she's asking to be removed from Sim's freebie list. So getting her free comics, uh, free Cerebus comics, and I'm sure there were other comics that he was printing at the time. Because this is, this is issue 93, so it's about, we're talking the late 80s, early 90s for, for about issue,
0: issue 93, roughly. I think that may have been the only book he was publishing at the time.
1: Oh, okay. Anyhow, here's what she said. The you behind the creation is an ugly creature, not worth the search. No amount of artful contrivances by you can interest me, for they only serve to reveal your core nature again and again, and in my eyes, that core, that you, is a self-promoter who is incapable of perceiving diversity of opinion in terms of others than attack and defense. I might almost call you a solipsist if that term did not imply considered philosophical thought. Uh, that, kids, is what we call a burn. That is a scorch. That is nuclear winter, folks. Uh, that is just rough. And Sim, to his credit, he printed this letter and he counters what she says, which he says, I value rational debate. Um, he goes on to talk about Ironwood, uh, what she wrote for Eclipse Comics, and uh, the many problems that he had with it. And they, you know, obviously these two didn't get along. They didn't like each other. But this is one of the things that was going on with Sim. So, you know, this isn't anything new. This guy was a provocateur. And I, I don't want to – one of the things I think about an awful lot now, Jason, with comics where they're at is the lack of risk that most mm-hmm. creators take. And, and I mean, sequels and Marvel movies and the MCU, it's all about decreasing risk to increase profits, uh, but also increase to make sure that the stuff that you like, you already like, and giving you more of the stuff that you like, rather mm-hmm. than challenging viewers, challenging listeners, and, and giving something to think about. Just keep serving them up. Uh, it, it's very corporate. It's very industrial in how those things are put together because those things are as much about profits as they are about anything else. So I'll get mm-hmm. off my soapbox about that. So so just so that we establish before we sort of get into a little bit more about Sim, what he was someone who who uh, healthy debate is is that fair? I mean, you know he. That was something he liked to do. He wasn't just sort of spewing this stuff out there and saying "to hell with everybody." This is what I think, or or what was he?
0: Well, that's an interesting question because it's a, a ramply one too. I'm sorry. Well, we're both. It's the nature of a podcast that people ramble a bit. Think. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I think it's both. I think okay. he's. I think he is uncompromising in his beliefs. I think in almost every one of his beliefs too. And his belief in self-publishing, and his belief in the auteur system, and his belief in the nature of gender relations, and that one is belief in his religiousness. He's just a person who tends to feel his beliefs very strongly. And I think that that letter from Cat Ironwood, which is from 1986.
1: 1986. I looked up my notes, Jason. Thank you. You're right. Thank you.
0: I didn't have that at my fingertips, by the way. I had the
1: I did, I, and I, I, I didn't pay attention to it.
0: So. <laughs> I looked it up. That's an uh, opinion he shared 30-plus years ago. Right. It is probably an opinion he would still have today. And I think that he has never really compromised his beliefs in that. And so that brings up a question that I wrestle with all the time, Keith, mm. is is it more human to have a belief and keep a belief for your entire life or be open to different beliefs? Uh, uh, opinions mm. and change your mind as you evolve over your life.
1: That, that is another podcast in itself. One thing I think I will say about that is, yes, I believe that as human beings, there are people who, who take in new information and change. In politics, we call that flip-flopping, and you get raked over the coals for that. But mm-hmm. there's a certain amount of you know, learning something new and developing new opinions uh, mm-hmm. which, which I think anybody, I mean, that's, that's, that's the human condition sort of thing. But I think there's this other side of things that maybe – I put us both in that bucket, Jason. I think we're people who would hear new information and we would think about that and process that. I think I'm the first one to use the P word here, process. <laughs> but would process that information um, and take it in to sort of say, okay, well, well how does this affect those other things? But there's another side of it, which I think and and, and maybe this isn't the right term, but I would put this term on Sim, which is he's a zealot in almost Mm -hmm. anything that he does, whatever it is, he's very much a zealot. He is a true believer through and through for whatever that thing is that he's doing, as you said, you know, religion uh, is is a big part of his life now, and reading scripture and reading the Torah and reading the Quran is is very you know that's that's where he's at right now, and I'm sure that he's taken that I don't know zealotism is is that a word, but that that mindset to this new thing, and, and, and it's 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 almost a fandom thing. It's almost what some people think of their fandom at as they develop at, and 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 personally. I don't associate with a lot of people like that because that's not how I think about things in the larger picture of them. I felt very different about the Boston Red Sox when I was 12 than I do mm-hmm. at 40, 45. And mm-hmm. I think that's a, that's a lot that that's similar to this, maybe not the best analogy, but that's similar, but there are still people that sort of think about a sports team say, or a movie star or whatever, and they're ride or die regardless. And, mm-hmm. um, I'd rather be ride or die with Jason Sachs than I would be with just about any uh, movie star or artist or whatever. So
0: <laughs> no, um, I would rather be ride or die with Keith Silva. But uh, <laughs> that's a whole different story. That's a whole different podcast, right? Right. Yeah. Um, but I so, mean, so
1: is he a zealot? Is Sim a zealot?
0: Yes, I think he is. But I'm not sure that's necessarily a bad thing.
1: No, okay. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I get it. I mean, that kind of devotion, like that, that you know, you certainly want that kind of devotion in certain things. I just don't know, you know, <laughs> then then it becomes more complicated. And I think that's one of the things that when you talk about Cerebus, you talk about those 6,000 pages, you know, yeah. it's complicated. It mean, doesn't really capture it, but it does. That's as, as, as best as you can do.
0: Well, let me ask you this. So if we were talking about, let's just pick someone else who was. Is- Prominent in the comics field, who did a lot of work later in life, say mm-hmm. Will Eisner. Okay, would you say he was a zealot for his comic storytelling?
1: I think that's one of the things that we're 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 getting towards very quickly in this discussion, which is we're trying to separate the art from the artist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one thing that is difficult to do with any artist is how do you do that? And and I think it, it's it it's a different process for each individual person mm-hmm. I mean will Eisner had a vision right what's the difference between having a vision and sticking to your principles and doing the work as opposed to saying no I'm going to do it my way and and not I mean those things are intertwined you can't separate them very easily but I don't think will Eisner has the reputation that Dave Sim has
0: yeah yeah and which, I think. Which we're- when I was thinking about this conversation, I was wondering if we were gonna get into an R. Kelly kind of conversation at some point.
1: Oh absolutely. Um, I think it's I think it's the th- the third of our conversation. We're in the we're in the second half. We're moving there <laughs> very, very
0: quickly. Because I, I don't know if it's fair to call it zealotry.
1: Okay. Zealotry. I like that. I like that.
0: Um I just I, I think the people are committed to their core beliefs in their life. And I think z- calling it zealotry might be a little dismissive. Sure. Yep. Yep. Um, I I think it is is, in his mind, which I have no... I I can't cast aspersions on. These are well thought out Mm -hmm. philosophies and principles. Mm -hmm. He certainly expounded on them at great depth over the years. Mm -hmm. And it's one thing that has never been a concern for him is is sharing his opinions about things. And because of that, that gives him both his ability to lead groups and uh, the way that he will sometimes lose groups, loses, mm-hmm. lose the followers. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just in his case represents a double edged sword that in other people's hands, I don't know, is 20 Robins or someone <laughs> <laughs> can be seen as inspiring.
1: I think there's, <laughs> I think there's someone uh, in the White House right now that that would that Dave Sim has a lot in common with that that a lot of people that sort of have very strong beliefs and beliefs in themselves and can be leaders in one way or another would also fall into that category. And I could definitely see Dave Sim as as a leader. You know, thank God he was only drawing comics and not in politics, I guess.
0: I, I don't know if that's good. Yeah. Or bad. Well, I'm, yeah, I get your analogy in some ways. I mean, I don't think that Trump is a man with any fixed political opinions or I would agree. any he intelligence. He believes in Donald Trump. He believes in Donald Trump, and I think a lot of this is opportunism. I don't want to turn this into a political podcast. No, 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 not at all. But I, I think Sim has this animating intelligence, and mm. this he's thought through his opinions thoroughly, and ex, mm. it can expound on them in, in great depth uh, and talk about them coherently and in ways that are quite – he's willing to engage other people and listen to to dissenting opinions. So in that way, I think he is, he's more of a philosopher than a king, I guess.
1: Mm, Very well put. Well, nice, very nice, very nice turn of phrase, Jason. Uh, No surprise, (laughs) no surprise there. Um, Well, let's get into it. Let's get into, you know, the, the, the aardvark in the room, the elephant in the room, which is Mm -hmm. Cerebus 186. Now for a little bit, let, let me give a little bit of context here. So, uh, Cerebus 186 published in September of 1994. It is the final part of the Reeds collection in Mothers and Daughters. So basically here's quickly what goes on in this issue. Uh, there's an incontinuity short story where Cerebus orbits around the moon, and then the rest of the issue becomes a discussion by Victor Davis, who was, you can expound a little bit on that, but a sim- simulacrum. And there's this discussion about the male light and the female void. And this entire essay, should you want to read it, is reprinted in a post called "The Merged Void," which is on a website called Misogyny Unlimited. Um, <laughs> which is, you know, be careful with uh, your internet searches for misogyny. And folks. <laughs> um, so, really quickly, and I'm going off of what I had written before. So, this essay, this that that Sim, this Victor Davis writes, is it bad? Oh. Oh my, yes. Uh, it is ugly. Mm-hmm. It is gross. It is just one of those things that is, you read it and you're like, you know, it, it's it's destructive. It's absolutely nasty. It's a nasty piece of writing. So with that introduction, Jason, I'll turn it over to you for a little bit of more context. And sort of, you're, you're reading this comic. Now, just a reminder to folks out there. So this was September of 1994. And this is yes. issue 186. This series continues for another one hundred and fourteen issues. Mm-hmm. So it's just remarkable that this sort of flag is planted with this. I mean, you know, turd in the punch bowl is not even a is not even a good analogy. That's too cutesy for what's going on here. You're reading this in ninety-four, Jason, you get this issue, and what happens?
0: Well, there was this explosion of controversy around it. So yeah, I can answer this kind of in a few ways, but I think the best answers are from Sim himself. So, okay. several issues later, he was contacted by a guy named Jay Hagee, a freelance writer from the Comics Journal. Hmm. And Hagee asked him a series of quest- asked him a series of questions about the reaction to his article. Question one: Including the letters appearing in your comic, what do you think of the response to the story essay in issue one eighty six? Has it met or exceeded what you were expecting? Sim's answer is very revealing in a few ways. He says. This presupposition that that expectation is a foundation or, in some measure, a significant element in creativity. What do I think of the response? The world seems to be composed of people who are unable to separate what is factual from what is opinion. They find contrary opinions threatening in the extreme. It seems self-evident to me that if two people have widely differing views, then what is being discussed is not fact but opinion. I have been in receipt of a large pile of differing opinions, ranging from the dispassionately reasoned to the hysterical. So what? Wow. (laughs) So what? So what?
1: So what is right. Very, very well said. So what? So so Uh, what, Jason Sachs?
0: So uh, as I read this, he doesn't care what people think. He didn't Mm -hmm. care then, and he doesn't care now what people think. He's going to be himself, the author he's always seen himself as being, the outsider that he's always seen himself as being, and he's just going to share his view of the world. If you don't like it, you spend your dollar 75 somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Question two: What was the reason behind this story essay in particular, the way it was written? It reads like a treatise or manifesto. It seems to beg some kind of answer. What is your, what is your worldview that this essay is based on? Sim. How typical. Condense my worldview so that it fits a neat little box of gray type in the comics journal. Anyone whose worldview could be considered in such a way is hardly worth considering. Is your opinion that reads like a treatise or manifesto? Is your opinion that begs an answer? Why would that interest me?
1: Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting in that it's this arrogance (laughs) that he just doesn't care what it's almost like he doesn't expect there to be a reaction to, to something like this. It's just, hey, I said this, I shared this, and what do you want me to do? This is, this is me. That is just so unbelievable. I don't hard think to process.
0: It's, it's hard to process, yeah. My take is a little different. I don't agree with a word of what he says, by the way. I mean, I've been <laughs> yes. happily married to a woman who's not the, the void in my life for many years. Jason
1: Sachs, not a fan of misogyny. Got it.
0: Not a fan of misogyny. I just want to make that very clear. Keith <laughs> Silva, Keith also Silva. not a fan of misogyny. <laughs> yes, exactly. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Damn it, um, Keith. I know. I know. But but So let's get back to this. So you but, don't but think say, that hey, response so, is arrogant?
0: I, so my, my core feeling about Dave Simp is that he's always been a man who follows his own vision of the world. Okay. And it's something that's kind of been his way for pretty much his entire professional and adult life. He, you know, he started out self-publishing. He had confidence in his own work. He, he led a self-publishing movement. He's just always been very kind of centered in his own view of the world. And in that way, he just didn't, has never cared what other people think about what he does, what his opinions are, what their take is on things. So when he says, so what, he really means, so what? what do you, what's your objective here? Why do I care what do you think? I'm going to continue to have my own opinion. and that, Let me, I, go ahead, and, go ahead. And it's clear from the letters, too, he will listen to other opinions, mm-hmm. and he will kind of engage them in a philosophical way. He's, but he has a certain very particular way of looking at the world, particularly at that time, which is 1995. And I can't characterize where he is now because I haven't read work from him in you know quite some time, right, right. but at that time, I think that, that was clearly his view of the world: that men were rational and women are irrational, and that when a man mm-hmm. is irrational, he's trending towards the feminine side, and he's just not going to compromise what he sees as his core masculinity to take on views that are outside of his opinion range. So, I and think- also that he does, he has his uh, the the line. The other thing that jumps out at me is. How typical! Condense my worldview so fits a neat little box of gray type. He has those well thought out, well considered, complex opinions on most everything, mm. and he's not going to allow himself to be put in a box. Right.
1: So here, here we've got. I, I want to get back to nineteen ninety, September ninety four. Jason Sachs, sort of taking all of this in, uh, if you would indulge us. But I also want to think that. One thing that you're bringing up, and as we talked about art versus the artist and what that means and and what that's about is, okay, so if he has an uncompromising opinion, regardless of how odious that opinion may be, Mm -hmm. don't we want our artist to have an uncompromising opinion? Or is it, you know, you can only have an uncompromising opinion that fits within certain things. And as we're going to get into this art versus the artist thing. Um, there are other examples that keep coming up where we have to rethink what we thought of this person. Maybe you and I think that maybe other people have different opinions, but, but do, this is an uncompromising artist from the jump, from the word go. Like you said, he published his own stuff. He paid to publish his own stuff and people liked it. And so what, right? I mean, that's where we're kind of at with this, which is, how uncompromising do you want your artist to be? Do you just want to be uncompromising on the page, but, you know, not pay attention to the other stuff? I don't know. This is, this is the difficulty, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, it absolutely is. Um, we could talk about, you know, Aziz Ansari or someone, but I think mm-hmm. maybe the better analogy is someone like Pablo Picasso.
1: Okay. I got others, but let's go with that one, sure.
0: Yeah, I want to hear your others, too. Um, <laughs> because but tell because me what
1: pre- you think about Picasso.
0: Well, Picasso was I think Picasso is one of the great painters of the 20th century and one mm-hmm. of the most transcendent talents. His relationships with women were challenging, right? But his, <laughs> his depiction the least, of yes. them was literally three-dimensional in his work. In mm-hmm. the same way that we you were just saying earlier, you know, Sims, Sim's depiction of women is three-dimensional in his work. Mm-hmm. He may have opinions about them, but for example, the portrayal of Jaca in going home I think feels pretty close to real life Hmm. I don't know it it gets into a difficult position for me I mean he's it's not the level of you know R. Kelly again right god forbid Michael Jackson but it's troubling and it affects the perception of his work in a deep way
1: so I think this is one of those things that as we encounter uh, a, a work. Uh, when I first read *The Merchant of Venice* as a high schooler or whatever, yeah. I recognized the anti-Semitism. I recognized that the the Jewish character was being portrayed poorly, but I didn't understand anti-Semitism even though I knew about the Holocaust and knew about all that other all those other anti-Semitic kinds of things that that has have happened. But I didn't necessarily think Shakespeare anti-Semite. Right. Um, But this is now something that when you read this work with that knowledge, you have to think about Uh, the other one, which I I, I can't say I've read, but uh, a lot of times comes up in these art and the artist discussions is Ezra Pound in the Cantos, who's basically, you know, siding with fascism and and siding with the Nazis. But to bring it a little bit more contemporary. Yeah. Now we're seeing things. Michael Jackson is a great example. I I have different opinions about that. But I think one of the things that people have to reckon with again, and and here's the other part that we're not talking about, is that we don't want to reckon with that, is that we want to listen to Off the Wall and we want to listen to Thriller and just be in that place where we can recognize the work of art and not think about that other stuff. And I think that's really what we're talking about when we talk about this sort of thing is, you know, Michael Jackson's. Opinions on children and his thoughts about how adults, a grown adult and a child, not related or even related, should act around one another, is still as reprehensible when we were learning about it while he was alive as it is now. You know that that new information comes to light or or new information is shared, mm-hmm. and that's very similar to this same discussion. Um, I don't think you can separate those two things. But I think we really, really want to. I think our, our innate drive as as people is to say, I don't want to think about that.
0: So do you fall on the side of saying, I enjoy the art as its own thing, and therefore I'm going to allow myself to not think about the artist?
1: No, not personally. No, I can't do that. I think that you have to look at, I don't think you have to reckon with both of them and and and, and make it have you stopped listening to it? I think you can make that choice. It's all a choice, but I think just to sort of take it, you know, people are, are, are complex and this is not something I'm falling back on. It's more of let's look at what was, what was done, you know, what sort of art was produced. And again, realize that maybe that person, I'll go back to the beginning of this conversation. Maybe he's an asshole. There are plenty of assholes that make great art. There are mm-hmm. plenty of you know uh, people in the in the public sphere that are probably not really great human beings,
0: mm-hmm. but they
1: they do something or they have a job that that in which you can they entertain you. So therefore, they get a pass. I, I don't think so. I don't feel that way.
0: Uh, what about for you? Yeah, yeah. That's the Aaron Hernandez problem, I suppose. <laughs> Ooh, ooh, ow, ow, ow! ow. ow, ow. <laughs> you know, you love, you love the Patriots, and yet sure. here's this guy who played for them for a number of years, who one of the best players, who is, is actually a convicted murderer. Yeah, no, um, damn it. <laughs> and now sharing, yeah. sharing it for yeah. folks who are listening. That's right. Um, yeah, it, it's troubling, uh, especially in the case of a work like Service being a direct reflection of the creator's view of the world. Mm-hmm. Frankly, I don't listen to Michael Jackson anymore. I had him on my my, my mix that I use mm-hmm. when I go for runs, and like it, I just it just when the, when last time I had Billie Jean queued up when that came up, like I felt this like disgust wash mm-hmm. over me.
1: And like, is that I, because? But but you knew these allegations. This is this is stuff that's happened before, and you just how how did you not? you know it just because it's back in the in the public sphere
0: yeah well and then the, the, yeah i think it is just because it's back okay. in the public sphere and maybe because now it's so clear and unambiguous but i mean there were rumors going on around hi- about around him you know 20 years ago too he gave,
1: interviews. he gave interviews where he said i don't see what's wrong with sleeping with a child you know not yeah. you know, at all i mean he said it and he said it years ago and i think these are the kinds of things that we 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 wrestle with as we talk about our entertainers. I mean, you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, let's let's move this back to Sim though. Sim's yeah, not. Absolutely. Sim's not a pedophile. Not nope. at all. No. Nope. Sim's not a. He. God, R. Kelly's just you know, just a terrible human being from the way. Well,
1: there's committing crimes. Dave, Dave Sim Those committed are no crime. crime. These are right. just
0: these are just opinions that I don't agree with. These are okay. aberrant opinions. So this is more. I guess the best analogy I can think of is the gate people. So, like okay. Ethan Van Skyver, for example, mm-hmm. and and his political views. Um, I choose not to read his comics. I don't want to do. I, I just cannot enjoy them
2: mm-hmm.
0: because I find his political viewpoints um, abhorrent. Right. And you know, I, people have different political viewpoints. Are free to have their own opinions. It's a free country, and Absolutely. I respect that. But I can't read it. And mm-hmm. so, therefore, like I'm depriving myself of Green Lantern Rebirth, which is something I probably should eventually read. <laughs> yeah, At the si- go, go ahead, ahead. Go ahead.
1: No, this is great. No, go. I'm listening.
0: Um, I've kept supporting Sim over the years. You know, we were one of the things we were going to get to is these these kind of late career Cerebus and Hell comics mm-hmm. that have been coming out. What since that uh, August 2017? Yep. And like I have bought all of these, I had it on my pull list. I kept all of these, and they're garbage, honestly.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're they're a different. Uh, they're not quite your. They're not quite your high society, or even your uh, m- mothers and daughters. Dave Sim. That's a, <laughs> a little something a little different. A little something different. Um, you know, in getting with this conversation, when you read that issue, I just want to go back and 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 you can cut this if you want, but. When you went back, were you just gobsmacked when you read this and you were like, what the hell is going on here? You know, in, in 94 when that first came out.
0: So this is where context is, adds a little bit to it. So
1: okay.
0: I Thank you, you like, for indulging me, Jason. Dude, you're, you're, you're interviewing so, you're such a skillful interviewer. This is
1: right, awesome. Right, right. Go on, go on, Sax. No, like you,
0: <laughs> you, you think about things at such an interesting level. It's just really entertaining. I recently reread all of, of mothers and daughters, and I was reading it at the time uh, when he was doing the work. And what I found is that mothers and daughters is just a scattershot mess. It's just a mess from a from a creative standpoint. The story doesn't hold together at all. It's just a bunch of different incidents that all happen, and it seems to be animated as much by Sims' transient interests as it does by coherent editorial vision. Mm-hmm. So, like the 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 uh, fight that you describe. In the first seven pages of the issue is vitally important to the continuing storyline, but kind of doesn't end up paying off in any way. So to me, like going back and rereading it, all this stuff in the back with Victor Davis is just this odd frickin tangent that just made me crazy. So this whole Victor Davis thing is basically an analogy for Sim. He Sim has, uh, I think, five issues of similar pieces like this, although none are none get into the same level of discussion of misogyny. Part of it's a dialogue he has with Alan Moore at the time, and he actually references Alan Moore, which is just, right. like, weird. So he's in, using the himself as,
1: in the comic. In the comic. Yeah, in the Cerebus he's, story.
0: Yeah, yes. so he's aliasing himself, but he doesn't alias Moore. And then at the end of Mothers and Daughters and Issues, uh, I think 198, 199, and 200, he actually draws himself in as a character. Sim draws himself in and refers to himself as Dave and cuts off Cerebus's ear and pokes his eye with a scalpel. It's just this bizarre thing. None of this kind of holds together as a kind of coherent story in a way that would have been satisfying. Now, moving beyond that, the, the story gets a lot more satisfying. It's just like this 50-issue arc, Just never really does, I think, what he intended to do in some ways. So because of that, it's already kind of intellectually compromised. And it was a real challenge to get through. Is that my take on it then was, holy crap, there's a lot to get through. And then, oh, my God, he's doing more of this stuff, more more of this, like, long textual stuff. And then, oh, my God, now he's going to make my life more complicated than it needs to be with these long (laughs) discursive commentaries. And, you know, if we're talking 1994, right, you know, my kids were three and two or something at that point. Okay. And so, yeah, 1994. And so, like, I just, I literally didn't have time for this shit. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Okay. And so, you know, it, it, it just made the comic drop to the bottom of the stack. But at the same time, I couldn't let go of it. I don't think I was reading a lot of comics at the time. It was one of the rare books I was reading. Mm. That's kind of a vague answer, I suppose.
1: No, I think what you're getting at is, again, we're talking about something that lasts for as long, and, and I don't know what you want to call comics the way you and I think about it. If it's a hobby, a lifestyle, uh, something that you do. But I think you know, everyone that I've spoken to uh, with comics is – there's an ebb and flow. You know, you're yeah. more into it at one time, you're out of it at another time. You're sort of keeping a, a, you know, keeping it at an arm's distance. You're, you're you're super involved in it and it ebbs and flows in a way that as it travels through life because I think you and I are in the same boat, if you will, to continue the the, the nautical or or sea metaphor here, <laughs> which is to say that as comics come in and out of your life, that that's something that it's an entertainment as we think about it, like movies, you might watch more movies or listen to more music at different times of your life. And right. that's how we sort of feel about comics. They're not this greasy kid stuff that sort of you pass through at a certain time in your, in your development as a human being. No, this is an entertainment that has always been there is always there. And you may, you know, indulge in it more or less as you continue. But, you know, I, I could see myself, you know, and I have seen in the last few years, you know, you know, Getting further and further away, but keeping certain creators or certain titles that I'm interested in, you know, sort of at the bottom of the stack maybe or at Mm -hmm. the top of the stack. But Mm -hmm. again, it's dynamic. It ranges. It goes in and out. And I think this is this is natural. Um, You know, I was uh, you know, when my kids were younger, uh, I was, you know, reading less, seeing movies less, you know, being involved in music less because responsibilities shift. You're a grown up you know, you have different responsibilities. But I think for a lot of folks, maybe this is your only thing. Maybe this is the thing that that you have in your life. And there's no judgment here. It's just, you know, you're in that intense period where you're really close to this thing. Uh, my very good friend, uh, Seth, who was a Cerebus fan who I met in graduate school at the University of Vermont, you know, I was like, oh, you're into Cerebus? High Society? And he was like, yeah, dude, that's like a hundred issues ago you know this is this is early this is late 90s early 2000s and -hmm. he's like it gets really weird and i was like what do you mean he goes well there's this one issue and it was issue 186 that came up in -hmm. this discussion and i had no idea 1994 i was done with comics for a long time uh, had been done and would be done for years to come but again i think wherever it is it's something that you have to reckon with and and it's not necessarily something that's about the creator as much as it's about your relationship to the work. I mean, that's mm-hmm. really all we're really talking about here. Uh, in total, is your relationship to the work, and maybe that's an ebb and flow thing too. I, I'm, I'm I know I'm just sort of riffing here, Jason, but I, I do think that that's something that uh, that that happens. And you know, okay, if you're going to read Cerebus, you're going to have to reckon with this part of this person but again the 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 artist belief in themselves and their you know steadfastness to creating their art you know it's easier with prince Mm -hmm. not so easy with dave sim not easy Mm -hmm. with r kelly not easy with michael jackson again those are crimes that were committed or 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 charges that were, were put up against people so maybe that's a little bit different but i mean frank miller would be another artist not You know, necessarily as didn't put it on the page like Dave Sim put it on the page, but that's a career that that that, you know people question a lot more now than they did in 1986. I can tell you that for sure.
0: Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot there around kind of authorial intent Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and kind of the authorial uniqueness, the tolerance you have as a fan for the author kind of going in their own direction. Right. And I want to put it this way. I think by spending too much time on 186 we're not giving enough justice to the other areas of his work on Cerebus that mm-hmm. are interesting and important. And also I think we have to respect the fact that he just has these opinions. If they're too much for you, if you don't if you can't engage with someone who has these opinions, then I think it's just not a book to read. I think the Frank Miller analogy is the perfect analogy, where, you know, Miller kind of, by all reports, got a little crazy after 9-11.
1: Maybe by his own admission, too.
0: Yeah, and uh, apparently in recent interviews, he's kind of come around a bit to to become more mellowed. And also the the idea that I, I was raised by my parents to have my own opinions about things. And be willing to have alternative opinions. And I guess that's part of why I've always loved comics is because, uh, you know, in part because it's just something that's been my own passion, my own opinion.
2: Right.
0: And because of that, I felt this freedom to sometimes go outside the norms, I guess. Mm-hmm. Now, I just don't tend to have aberrant opinions about most things, I guess. That's um, good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I believe in healthcare for all, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's too strange.
1: No, no. Um, no.
0: So, I mean, but by, 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 I, I think it's reductivist to say he's just a misogynist. And I think that it's it, one of the more interesting, so I'm going to change the topic slightly here and we can get sure. back to where you want to go. I think one of the more intriguing shifts that the series takes when Sim reaches his 40s is he starts to get more interested in these literary explorations. Mm -hmm. So he has the storylines that are basically retellings of events from the lives of Scott Fitzgerald and then Ernest Hemingway as part of the going home storyline. And he takes the series off in these very odd, unexpected tangents with these annotated stories from these people's lives. Not necessarily following a political agenda either, but more as a way of exploring his own takes on their lives. Right. And I thought that that's equally as intriguing as anything else he ever did. And maybe the most tourist work he could do as part of the series. Because he's not caring at all, if you have any interest at all, in Scott Fitzgerald. He His vision is taking him in that direction. And, you know, as a man in his 40s yourself, you know, you're he's, it's like him allowing his life to lead him in, in the areas that interest him. You were mm-hmm. talking about the interest in comics that and flowing, and I know you're much mm-hmm. less interested in it comics than you were, say, four or five years ago, we start, started becoming friends. Right. I think that's just a natural evolution in your life. He allowed himself to kind of go in that direction and then combine that interest with his art.
1: I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree with you more as far as that goes. And I think the other thing that we're hitting on here and we have to be I want to be careful uh, as I say this, but I would not want to be held accountable for the attitudes and opinions I may have had in my twenties, in my forties, um, as I have matured and grown as a, as an adult, and I think, so that's, I think about
0: this, I think about this all the time with the acceptance of our society in terms of homosexuality, for example. I've always been tolerant. I've always had friends who are gay. But I always made those jokes, you know, well, that's gay or he's acting mm-hmm. gay or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. And now, like, uh, if I was to be judged by making those comments when I was in my 20s, I would be appalled. Right. Right.
1: Yep. I, I, I absolutely agree. Now, again, you know, luckily we don't have art that stands out there that, that of, of those opinions that we had about homosexuality as they were developing or opinions... Uh, that we may have had about women when we were in our teens or 20s mm-hmm. or 30s or whatever. And I think that's the same thing that we're talking about here. Again, you know, you know, Keith Silva, Jason Sachs, not misogynists, underlined. <laughs> but I think there is something here that says that was Sim's opinion. Doesn't We don't forgive him for it, but we just look at it and say, okay, that's where this guy was at that time. Mm-hmm. The opinion is abhorrent. I don't agree with it. I don't like it. But I am going to deal with that as I am going to deal with the other things in this series that it talks about. And I think again we get back to that that sense of and why I started with that that quote that you gave, uh, you know, the asshole quote. There is so much in Cerebus, uh, you know, and again my 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 best uh, examples of this come from High Society, where you know <laughs> he changes. He acts. There's a constant change in Cerebus as the way he talks to Astoria before he's a candidate, when he's just a, a kitchen a kitchen worker, you know, and her opinions change too. And it's, it's, it's very human. And uh, I don't want to necessarily say, you know, wrap up the discussion, Jason, but I do think there's something interesting that I absolutely – I love a lot of things about Jason Sachs, but Jason Sachs, the poet, <laughs> the poetic Jason Sachs is probably one of the most – Charming people, I think I've ever uh, met. And do you remember how he ended the article from Comics Bulletin? How how you sort of came around to this?
0: I don't. I'm, oh, you I'm don't? scrolling through the
1: piece. No, don't scroll. Don't scroll. Let me okay. tell you how you ended it. So, so one of the things that I think is interesting is the way you sort of, at the time, this is you know three four years ago, talked about this was through Tomb of Dracula. Oh, and, right. And I think what's absolutely right. amazing. That you sort of, you know, in sort of understanding Sim, and I don't think that you're making excuses at all, but how you came around with it was this issue of Tomb of Dracula. And very quickly, so in the last issue of Tomb of Dracula, I'm quoting Jason Sachs here, Dracula is killed. Spoiler alert for a comic that came out in 1979. The castle blows up and Marv Wolfman writes... Aye, he was a hero, a hero and a scourge, a ruler and a despot, a savior and the lord of darkness. He died for his country, and he was reborn without his soul. His name was Dracula, and his history was a tapestry of terror sown across the ages. Ah, Wolfman, man, get him that. <laughs> we who have chronicled, phrase. yes, exactly. We who have chronicled his 500 years and more have stood back and shown his existence without critique. But now that it is over, we have but one thing to say, Dracula was a man and that should never be forgotten. And I think that, you know, I loved it at the time that you ended ended that discussion there because, you know, again, human beings are complicated people and he was a man, you know, and Dave Sim as Dracula. <laughs> I also absolutely love. But I think this is what we're talking about when we talk about these discussions is, you know, human beings, warts and all, and, and, mm-hmm. and keeping that in mind and not shoving it away and saying well i don't want to deal with that right now you know and if it doesn't feel good to listen to billy jean the way it felt in 1983 i'm sorry but th- them's the breaks kid
0: yeah and yeah i don't want to end this by conflating no sins, no, no so-called sins with michael jackson's
1: law. yes exactly <laughs> legitimate
0: awfulness like, right uh, that's just that's just like so um understood understood offensive. uh, you know, several orders of magnitude less uh, intense than that. But yeah, I mean, I think that in the end, if we're going to appreciate an artist's work over their entire lifetime, we have to appreciate their, that they are, they have complexity to them, that not all of them are going to be perfectly pure, fit our our, uh, definitions of what we expect people to be, Mm -hmm. especially, you know, judged through the prism of 2019 America. Uh, Our standards are important and essential to us to guide us along our way in determining the right way to live our lives and the right expectations for the way we handle our the society we live in. But I think we need to have some tolerance of people who have alternative viewpoints, who think for themselves, who are auteurs in their mindset. Mm -hmm. If there's one thing that summarizes Sim, it's he's always been a maverick. Mm -hmm. And while many of his opinions he shares as a maverick are outside of the mainstream, I think they're still worth engaging with uh, because they do represent his view of the world. And to rep- and to narrow him down as just a misogynist, I think that's too simple an answer. I think mm-hmm. it's, it's you know reducing someone to a single word. I think he is he's a complex figure. He's he's no Dracula. He's no R. Kelly. He's he's a, <laughs> simply a man. And it should not be forgotten.
1: Yeah, I think uh, you know definitely. Uh, you know again, uh, cosign on that as well. And I think one of the things that's important, and this is this is going to come off a little clumsily, but I think at some point you have to engage with these issues. And I think whether it's someone's behavior you know, towards women, you know, the, the me too thing that, that, you know, we haven't talked about here. It's odd because, you know, now I'm tangenting. I was listening to (laughs) a new, new album, but here's a, you know, in case you wanted some music recommendations, uh, the new Jenny Lewis album on the line, absolutely Mm -hmm. fabulous. Uh, I love it. I've been listening to it uh, all week since it came out and, or some of the songs on the album are co-produced by Ryan Adams. And now Mm -hmm. Lewis is having to answer questions about, ryan Mm -hmm. adams and what's come out about him and they're like okay and she said i don't agree with that behavior i don't agree with the things he's being accused with i'm not okay with that if that's how he behaved but i never saw that in him i now Mm -hmm. know about it so i have to think about that and and as as i process that as i work through it and you know everywhere she goes any journalist worth their salt is going to have to say oh by the way you know, did you know Ryan Adams was an abusive husband and accused of doing these horrible things to his wife? She has to answer for that now. And I think this is the same thing that we've been doing with this discussion, Jason, is, you know, we have to talk about this part of Sim's life and what, what better way to at least have the discussion to talk about it, to acknowledge it. And I think that's the key in a lot of this. And it's not saying it's okay, hey, we get to talk about misogyny uh, from Dave Simon, move on. No, you have to you have to recognize this thing for what it is, and and see it, and say, okay, let's talk about that and have a discussion about it in light of these other two hundred and ninety nine issues of this story that we love. And oh, by the way, we're still talking about a comic about a talking anthropomorphic aardvark. Let us mm-hmm. not let us not forget that that's what we're talking about here. So I yeah. think that that's how we kind of come down on it.
0: Yeah, well, and and the reasons he's a talking animo- anthropomorphic artwork are fascinating and story mm-hmm. elements that are incredibly powerful right. and really intriguing. And Sim does some really interesting stuff with services, gender in there as well. But I don't want to spoil that are not really informed by this discussion either. Yeah, it is a work of art. It's a tremendous achievement in Absolutely. comic art, and High Society is. A just a delightful comic. I mean, it's just, it's wonderful on every level. It's exciting. It's intriguing. The characters are fun. It's hilarious as hell. Oh, so. And there's a, there's lines in there that I still use all the time. You're not going to be compromising yourself by rereading this work. And even the later work, um, you know, as I was talking about, like, going home, I think the Ernest Hemingway stuff is is fascinating. I would rather see the, the, the gender, the take on gender as being just one element of what makes them a really interesting man. Two, yeah, I guess two, two, two more things. One is I'm always struck too by anytime you turn on the television, you're going to see a hundred people on TV. Chances are out of every hundred people you see on TV, there's one or two who are just bad people. We just don't know the backstories of these bad people. And whenever you're out in a crowd of people, there's always going to be 1% or 2% who are just, for whatever reason, just, just nasty human beings. And you just have to accept in some way that that's just the nature of the world. Are you going to allow yourself to be or happy about the 98% of the people who are positive or the 2% who may be um, just nasty? Um, I, al-
1: I always think about what you're talking about whenever I go to a sporting event. Now, I know... Yeah, for Hawks fans and the 12th man or the 15th man or whatever, whoever, you know, your banner there, your flag that you people fly. (laughs) None of those people are bad people. But I always think about this when I think about myself in in how I think about being a Red Sox fan and relating. I'm like, there's plenty of people who are Red Sox fans who are terrible people Mm -hmm. (laughs) or, 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 you know, that doesn't define me. That doesn't define Mm -hmm. me. It's something in my life that I enjoy and, you know, as I said, it, it's dynamic, it's ebbed and flowed over the years, but I don't necessarily sit in Fen- Fenway Park and think to myself, oh, these are all the best of the best that humanity has to offer. Probably most of them are because they're Red Sox fans. But, uh, you know, <laughs> aside from that, you know, I, I, I always think of sports like this because people are complicated. And yeah. again, that underscores all of it, that, that, that undersells all of it. But, mm-hmm. it. but it's true. It's very true.
0: So it seems appropriate that our last topic should be something you brought up in our chat, which is Sims almost seventy now, a lion in winter. Um, (laughs) Where do we see him now? What is his his life is still just as complicated as ever,
1: and he's still producing work. I think that's the other thing (laughs) to let let us not, you know, Cerebus has never fallen out of publication you can download it digitally now as it's more accessible now in some ways than it ever was when you and I were first encountering it and first reading Mm -hmm. it. Where is Sim now? I just think that he is not, he is not at the uh, epicenter of independent comics voices that he was. He has not aged well. Uh, that doesn't mean the work hasn't aged well. What I mean is that he is still Dave Sim. He was probably always Dave Sim. And the person that you see now is the man he always was, but he is still doing work, and he is one of those people that when he does pass, I don't think he'll I don't think he'll be forgotten. Not in the mainstream, not in the same way as when Steve Ditko passed away. But you will see people that will not forget the what Dave Sim meant to them and what he did as a as a creator and the impact that he had. He may be forgotten about, and Dave Sim strikes me as someone that in 50 years possibly will be rediscovered mm-hmm. um, as all these sorts of things happen. And maybe, you know, in with that kind of distance, we'll understand it more. And and I'm not saying dave sim is shakespeare that's not what i'm saying at all Mm
2: -hmm. but
1: i think i'm never going to stop reading hamlet i'm never going to stop reading king Lear. i'm never going to stop reading high society i would put high society in the hands of anyone who wanted to know what great comic book storytelling cartooning art just how a story is told visually i would give them high society every you know 10 out of 10 times as much as I would give him other books, but high society certainly is in that place. I'm not the Dave Sim uh, master. How, how do you see Sim as, he's, as he is now and, and will be in the future?
0: Well, I think you just brought up the perfect analogy, which is Steve Ditko. Mm. Ditko's another creator who really, at a certain point, follows his own vision And would never compromise, and was ultimately just his own self. His complexity made him that much more intriguing. The only difference really between Sim and Ditko is that Ditko was like a Greta Garbo who would never speak to anybody about his past, whereas Sim has always been one who shared every every opinion about everything to his credit. He's been remarkably available even now you know, there's plenty of places online where you can read him. Yep. For those of us who know his comics, Ditko had a complicated legacy from what, actually probably about the time that Sim published service yes. 186. Service One.
1: Oh, okay. Okay. Even then. Yeah. 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 Yep. Nineties.
0: Yep. Cause that's when he started moving away from mainstream books and it is doing his much more objectivist stuff. Although, you know, right. he's obviously doing it since the seventies. Does it diminish Ditko's, our perception of Ditko that he, Did those small press objectivist comics late in life? Does it increase our appreciation for him for being a maverick who would do work that he didn't even care if he got financial remuneration from? Does it bother us that he didn't want to take any royalty from the Spider-Man film? Or do we see that as in some ways admirable because he's following his own view of the world? Mm. He's a very uncompromising person. And I think I fall on the side of finding that un- lack of compromise as being very admirable.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I guess I feel the same way about Sim, is ultimately he's true to himself. He's true to his own inner vision of himself. It cost him a lot of friendships and a lot of admiration. Probably cost him his place in the pantheon of great comics creators, at least in the current era.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Definitely prevented him from getting on the Comics Journal list of hundred greatest cartoonists of the twentieth century. Hmm. But at the same time, I think that illuminates him as a figure that's admirable. He is ultimately the man who followed his own vision. So to conclude where we started with with the baseball analogy, mm-hmm. you're probably aware of the work of the great baseball analyst Bill James. Absolutely. <laughs> and Bill James had a statement in one of his books that stopped me cold and I've thought about ever since, which is the greatest baseball players are unique. Right. Each row is different from Big Poppy, is different from any other player you can choose. Right. Yep. Marty. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Edgar, Edgar Martinez. Martinez. <laughs> and if you think about them, they're singular people. And I apply that to my perception of creators, especially auteurs. And Sim was this unique figure. There's nobody like him. In that way, I think his work is worth celebrating. It's the ultimate auteurist comic and the same with it. Ditko's comics are the ultimate auteurist comics. And, you know, in the same way that Mignola or, you know, so many other creators' work is Frank Miller,
1: Bill Sienkiewicz those singular idiosyncratic singular visions. Absolutely. I agree with you hundred percent.
0: So that, I guess that's where I land on this work.
1: Would you, so I've been talking about high society and you mentioned some other books. What are those, what are, what is something that you would say to someone, you know, if you're interested in Cerebus, you should read what if high society didn't do it for you?
0: Yeah. Cause high society is a younger work and it's a mm-hmm. work by a guy in his twenties and it's full of verve and energy and, I have trouble kind of separating my opinion of it from the time I read it. I think that large sections of Going Home are wonderful, and it's a very different reading experience. So that's the first one that I popped to, okay, going his later home. work. Going Home. Yeah.
1: Avoid Cerebus and Hell,
0: I'm hearing you also say. <laughs> well, I mean, it's fine for what it is. I just there's no reason to have more than two issues. <laughs>
1: And we should say Service and Hell is a strip, like a four-panel strip that Sim is publishing now uh, online that then get collected. And the best the best of them get put into this print publication by the same name, Cerebus and Hell. So, But you can go and read all the Cerebus and Hell you want right now because from, it's a Google search away.
0: From, oh, it's uh, so funny. So, so I pulled out one of uh, issues that I happen to have sitting here that I got prepped for us to – Mm-hmm. to uh, talk about. So it's Cerebus uh, against Gustave Doré drawings from, yep. from the Inferno. Yep. And this little four-paneler is Cere- Cerebus is talking to like a statue or something in hell. Right.
2: Uh,
0: and Cerebus is saying, and the djinn says, he says, well, yes, I can turn you into a human being if you want. But wouldn't you rather I turn you into Dave Sim instead? Pause. <laughs> and in those two-panel pause, uh, Cerebus has the Minotaur's head on his head. Mm. And then the statue replies, okay, this isn't, if if this isn't part of the joke, blink once. This is part of the joke, blink twice.
1: Okay, (laughs) cute. Yeah, 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 I see it. I can see it. Yeah, yeah, not quite a a 6,000-page epic story about an anthropomorphic aardvark. One last thing, Jason, I I wanted to hit on, uh, and we can sort of say this is the, the errata, the extra stuff that goes into this discussion and maybe you talked about this in your podcast on the Turtles. Do I, am I overstepping by saying that the black and white revolution of the mid-80s owes much of that to Dave Sim? Is he a, a titan at that time?
0: He just couldn't have the black and white revolution without Dave Sim. Okay, there you go.
1: Soundbite, that's what we to call that. To put it very
0: yeah. simple. Yeah. yeah. Especially <laughs> by the time you get to the mid-1990s, he was a rock star. That's the other thing about him being at this point in his life is, uh, I, I can go on for 20 minutes about this topic, but <laughs> writing this history, the American Chronicles the 1990s, if it illuminated one thing, it's that people are rock stars and then they fall from, from grace. Mm. Our people are, are the big creator, and then they just become an ordinary creator. It happens over and over and over again throughout comics history, throughout music history, throughout film and television. It's just a fact. People are just big for a time, and then they're just not. Sim just falls into that pattern. He just had kind of a different fall than some other people did. Right.
1: Yeah, there are those people, that, that those rare individuals who stay current... Or at least in the public eye, you know, they achieve their rock star status and they go away. There's still plenty of people that follow, you know, The Grateful Dead or Dave Matthews or Pearl Jam or these other bands of the nineties and before the nineties with the dead mm-hmm. that I haven't heard or listened to or bought a Pearl Jam record in as many years as I haven't bought a Cerebus comic mm-hmm. book. So but those fan bases are still very much alive and doing their own thing and those fans are still a part of that so that's a that's a really good point i was going to say jason i had a pitch in here to mention that american comic book chronicles the 90s available now in fine online retailers put a little in the jar to keep jason sachs and mariners and hawks gear as well as in the pockets of co-author keith dallas so it's a great book for people and, and you do you talk about sim in the 90s chronicles oh, yeah. yeah wonderful yeah wonderful
2: Oh, thank you.